Welcome to episode five of the Entry Level Podcast. I'm Sarah Dudley, and I'm here with my co-host, Lindsay Bernard. And today we're going to talk about imposter syndrome. Now, many of you have probably heard about imposter syndrome in different contexts, but you might not know that 70% of people suffer from it at some point in their life. So today we want to break it down by discussing what it is, what the symptoms are, why so many of us suffer from it why it can actually be a good thing sometimes, and even how to reduce the feelings around it. So, Lindsay, I'm going to kick it off and ask you to tell us a little bit about what imposter syndrome is. Absolutely. Thank you. So just want to lay this out here. There's an article that I read about a year ago from Fast Company. I think it was posted last year in May, and it really did a good job breaking out the different components of imposter syndrome and the different types. So for for the sake of making sure we're all using the same definitions and on the same page. I'm going to read some of the definitions from that website. And Sarah and I will make sure that we post it for you in case you'd like to read the whole article. So I'd just like to say that up front. So imposter syndrome simply defined. Many high achievers share a secret. Deep down, they feel like complete frauds and their accomplishments are the result of luck. And stemming from that broad definition, there are five types of imposter syndrome that people may feel if they're experiencing it. One is the perfectionist. Perfectionists set excessively high goals for themselves. And when they fail to reach a goal, they experience major self-doubt and worry about measuring up. If you've ever been called a micromanager, you have difficulty delegating. When you miss an insanely high mark, you blame yourself and you think that you weren't good enough. Or sometimes you think that your work has to be 100% perfect when in reality, it may never be that. The second is called the superwoman and the superman, which is you're convinced that you're phony, that you're fake, especially around your real deal colleagues or your executive team. These type of people often push themselves to work harder and harder to measure up. Some qualities of this type of imposter syndrome are staying extra late for unnecessary tasks or, more importantly, redoing tasks that you did that day because you're stressing over them. When you're stressed out when you're not working and you find that taking downtime is extremely wasteful, you sacrifice your hobbies and your passions for work, and that's all you're focused on. And if you've ever been called a workaholic, you probably have suffered from this type of imposter syndrome at some point. The third is the natural genius. People who are the natural genius struggle with this because of the fact that they're considered geniuses. They they judge themselves based on their abilities as opposed to their efforts. Meaning if you have a track record of getting straight A's or gold stars, if you put it in the workplace and you don't hit that, you think that you're not good enough. You dislike the idea of a mentor because you think you can handle everything on your own. Your confidence can often tumble with setbacks because you're not used to feeling them, which I think is a a big, important one. The fourth is called the rugged individualist. And this is afraid to ask for help. And it makes you feel fake or that you're not good enough at your job because you're asking for help. 
So we may hear a lot about this when you first started a new company or a new promotion or a new type of job that you haven't had before that you constantly are feeling self-doubt and you're afraid to ask for help. And the fifth is the expert. People who fall into this type may feel like there's something somehow tricked their employer into hiring them. So I want to repeat that. A lot of people who suffer from imposter syndrome, I think this is a big one that we'll touch on is you feel like you tricked your employer into hiring you and that you're afraid of being deeply exposed for being inexperienced or not knowledgeable enough for what you're doing. And some of those qualities may come from shying away from interviews, looking at a list of requirements and hitting eight out of 10, but feeling that you're not good enough to interview because you're not a 10 out of 10. So using some of these definitions, I think that will help gauge our conversation as we talk about some of our experiences. So Sarah, I'll kind of start with you and just get some feedback and overall some experiences you've had dealing with some of these, these type of imposter syndrome qualities. Yeah, no, totally. I think one, as you were listing those off, and this, this is actually the first time I've heard these categories. And as you were listing them off, you said the first one, and I was like, yeah, I could see maybe some of those traits. The second one, I was like, okay, maybe a little, but I wouldn't classify myself there. And then the third one, when you said the natural genius one, I was like, well, this one's going to be super pompous. And then as you started listing them off, I was like, oh my God, that's me. And I was like, I I was, I was like, I don't want to be, I don't think of myself as a genius by any stretch, but I think, you know, something we talked about on one of our prior episodes was how I had a sense of failure at times because as a kid, I was really, really good at school. Like I was a smart kid. I was top of my class. I had the straight A's. I was used to being at the top of the heap all the time. And when you get used to that, you start to get this sense of, well, this is how life's always going to be. I'm going to put in this amount of effort and I'm going to see this level of results and just naturally good at this. I think I actually said on the last episode, I am I was naturally good at school. And so for me, when you started talking about that, the first thing that struck me was the whole ability versus effort thing. And so for me, I feel like when it came to academics and this kind of carried through college too, I didn't have to put in as much effort as the person next to me to get the same result. And so to me, I started, you know, that I could be much more efficient in what I do. And I still, I feel like sometimes I can still be like that, even in my job. I, I can be more efficient than others at some things, not at everything. We all have different strengths, but I started to to have that sense. And then what really struck home for me on this one was when you said they don't like having mentors. So I have always had this thing where I understand why people have mentors. I understand the value in them. I tell people to get a mentor because it's important. But then when it comes to myself and having a mentor myself, I always end up getting hung up on not being able to find somebody that I feel like I can truly work with in a mentor relationship. And I think it took I know that I was given a mentor in college. I was given a mentor in grad school. I was given a mentor post-grad school. In my in the first year of my job, I was given a mentor, but I never I never feel like I got any value out of those relationships. I think largely it was because I didn't know the best way to approach a mentoring relationship. But I think also part of it was this imposter syndrome thing where I'm trying so hard. I feel like I'm I can do this all so naturally. I shouldn't need help. 
is this idea that I shouldn't need help. I can do this on my own and how, and, and, and always trying to do everything on my own. I know that that is definitely a quality that I have that I'm not always proud of. It's important to ask for help. And, and so there, that's and even the what, what's interesting yeah. of what you're saying too, is while you, you, as I went through those definitions and you almost identified yourself right away as the natural genius. But if you think about it, some of the things you're even talking about kind of go into the perfectionist area as well, having difficulty delegating. And, you know, my question for you is, I think you made a lot of great points of been, you were given mentors, you were talking about the ability versus the effort. And I guess my question for you is, we've talked about on other podcasts, how you've worked your way up, you were a double major, you've worked your way up through the company you're at and, and hoping to expand in other things. How do you feel that identifying yourself with the natural genius has changed from maybe college to now? Have you addressed some of these things and, and tried different techniques to, to overcome them? Or is it something that you're still struggling with now? Yeah, no, I would say over the last several years, getting into the, my first real corporate job opened my eyes. I think up until I had that first job, I was very much of this mindset, like, you know, as long as I put X amount of effort in, I'll be fine. And I think my eyes were open more as I started navigating my actual career and I was thrown into a pool of other people who were all also extremely intelligent and hardworking. And I realized that natural ability for the first time in my life wasn't going to be enough. It wasn't going to cut it. I needed to be, I needed to stay on top of things. I needed to be constantly learning and working with others and networking and growing beyond where I currently was because for me, it, it wasn't going to be enough anymore. And, you know, some of that bleeds into other categories too, like the rugged individual one that you talked about where you're afraid to ask for help. Yes. When, when you grow up, when you're used to falling into the third bucket and then suddenly you have to ask for help, it's a very weird feeling and you kind of start to feel, you know, since the whole premise of this episode is around imposter syndrome, you start to feel like, uh-oh, <laughs> you know, am I not am I not ready for this? Am I not right for this? If I've always been able to do everything well, up to this point, why can't I do this well? What what is yep. preventing me? Why am I not ready for this? Is it am, am I faking this? Am I not ready to to jump into this? And you start to doubt yourself and you start to think like, oh man, I hope they don't figure this out that I that I'm not naturally amazing at this. And it sounds ridiculous when I say it, but I think maybe you can also understand some of these and, and I'm oh, curious absolutely. here. <laughs> I think just to close loop on the rugged individualist, I'm laughing a little bit because I just remember, I remember when I was an intern in college, an accounting internship doing auditing and being afraid to ask a question to the partner who I was on the job with. And I was an intern. I mean, realistically, how was I supposed to know? And a lot of the times when you're a new hire, regardless of what age you're at, regardless of what career you're in, you start a job and you want to put your best foot forward and you're almost afraid to ask for help when you don't know things. But when you take a step back, it's like, how could you? And I think that's a, a really good, I think the rugged individual is, I, I think I identify with that one. However, I actually have a, a pretty personal story around imposter syndrome. I definitely have suffered from it. And I, I think I hit on a lot of these different areas, but I'm, I'm more than happy to share. I think a lot of people may relate to it. So just to give you a little background, I was in a job, I was in, which I shared with you, I was in San Francisco. I, I had been there a couple of years and I had been doing well. 
And I, one of my mentors that I had, and this was a director at my company who really was invested in my career and I trusted him. I trust him. And he called me one day and he said, did you hear about the enterprise job that's going to be in New England? I said, oh yeah, I heard about it. And he goes, why have you not put your resume? Why have you not put your name, your, raised your hand to interview for it? And I said, and in my head, the initial sirens that went off were, I've only been in this role for two years. I am young. I don't think that I would fit this position. And I immediately shut the opportunity off because of confidence level and, and things like that, thinking I needed to stay in this role. After a couple of weeks and a, a few more people reached out, I really thought to myself and I said, okay, what do you have to lose? Throw your hand up, interview. The worst they'll say is, you know, you did a great job and you need a few more years or you did a great job. Unfortunately, there was someone just internally a little more qualified than you. And then you, the next one's yours or keep preparing and doing what you're doing and the next one will be yours. I interviewed not truly, truly not thinking I would get this job. And I went through the interview process and I found out that they were going to offer me the job. And as much as I was excited about it, what came after was a lot of backlash. One, I was young. Two, I was, there were a lot of people internally that interviewed for the job that were a lot older than me. And three, it was an internal interview process. So, and I was very close with a lot of people at the company that I heard the feedback. So I heard the people be, you know, I heard the employees and people that of the team that I was going to be joining in about three or four, three months be, you know, have questions. How did she get this job? She's not ready for this. I heard it. And a lot of questions go on. And so that anxiety of already hearing that truly, truly affected me when I actually moved back and I mean, had to take that job. Because if you can imagine, you walk in, you're already probably 10 years younger than the next youngest person on the team on top of hearing all of the negative feedback, feeling fake, feeling like I got this job some other way than interviewing crossed my mind. And it really set me back when I started the job. And when I did move back, it was a weird time. A lot of people in Boston that I had been friends with were gone or moved on. And as Sarah, for an example, she had moved on to Austin. Our roommates had moved away. The coworkers I had had all been taking similar jobs like I did. So no one was around. And on top of that, joining a team that I knew didn't want me and didn't think that I was good enough for the job that really affected me. And I did a lot of those things we just talked about. I gave up hobbies. I worked around the clock. I didn't develop a social life. I lived feeling, I lived for the first eight months of that job feeling like I didn't deserve it. And for anyone who's listening, who's, who's dealt with that before, it can be a really, really toxic feeling. It can be a really toxic feeling because you doubt your confidence is way down and you're just doubting your abilities tenfold you, and you feel like you can't do it. And so for me, when I went through that, not only did it affect, not only did it change kind of my outlook to work because I was stressing over things that I, I knew I could do. I was questioning every decision I was making. I was trying to prove to every single person that I had heard said, how did she get this job wrong? And I was afraid to almost reach out to my mentors who had put a lot of faith in me and who had supported me to do this. I didn't want to let them down. And I was afraid to call them and talk to them about any of this and to even get feet and get advice because I was, I was having so much anxiety and such lack of confidence in the position. So I think 
from that experience, I think I hit a lot of these different areas. And I will just say that it's once you find yourself really being affected by it, it's really hard to get out of it. And uh, it's really hard to kind of take yourself out of that cycle because it's, it's a mental thing, you know? Oh, totally. Yeah, I think that's a perfect example of, of imposter syndrome in the workplace. And especially as you're progressing through your career, I think you feel it a lot. I, I think my closest experience with imposter syndrome, it was, it's less about my career, I think, and more just about my place in life. <laughs> I think that for most of my life, especially after I left call or after I left high school and left Vermont, I think I have felt a lot of feelings of imposter syndrome just about my place in the world. That's a good I point. came from, yeah, you know, you know, both of us, we, yeah, we came from very really different, different backgrounds. And as you're, as you're starting to see success in life, and you're living a life very, very different than what you grew up in, and you're around very different people, and you're exposed to different experiences, and, and you have the opportunity to to travel the world and to do kind of, you know, whatever you might want to do. I think a lot of times I start to be like, when is this all going to be taken away from me? This isn't my life. I, this, I'm going to end up in, you know, back in Vermont and back in the life that I grew up in somehow. And even though it's not a realistic thought, when, when you start to let those negative thoughts into your mind, you forget about the hard work you've put in. You forget that you do belong where you are, that you have put in the time and the energy and, and just deserve where you're at. It's not that you're playing a role and that you don't deserve to be there. And I think a lot of times we forget that when we get when we let ourselves get too caught up in these feelings of I'm not good enough or I don't deserve to be here, we forget about all of the years of hard work. And sometimes it takes me just reflecting back on everything I've done. And I just turned 30 this weekend, so I did a lot of reflecting. <laughs> And, and when you reflect back, you're just like, man, you know, sometimes you forget on a day-to-day basis what you've accomplished or what you've done. But when you look back as a whole, it's, it's awesome to see. And, and then you start to give yourself a little bit more credit about your abilities and where you are in life. I, I was talking to some high school students a couple months ago about this very thing. There were some inner city kids at a high school and we were on a panel talking about career choices and, and the opportunities. And, you know, my number one biggest piece of advice to them was that you really, you can't bucket yourself into what, what people are telling you is your path. Broaden your horizons. Anything is possible, but if you, if you already narrow your horizon too much, then you're not going to get there. So this idea of letting imposter syndrome kind of take over, you have to be willing to kind of shut those feelings off and, and progress towards your goals and, and just turn off the negativity. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think it's a big part. I, th- I agree. I think that's a great point that, it, you know, my story is imposter syndrome in the workplace, but absolutely imposter syndrome in general. And what I find interesting is when I speak to my mentees who are recent grads, who are just starting in the workplace, regardless or not, if they're in my own career, even if they're in other careers, I think that that's, I think you, people experience imposter syndrome without even knowing it. Graduating college and getting, even if you're getting a teaching degree, you're getting a nurse's degree, you're getting an accounting degree, and then you're going into your workplace with really losing your, you know, you're losing your 
kind of the background and the, and the comfort that you had in college, regardless if you interned, you're now living in a city. If you took a job, you know, say you moved or you went to college here and you moved to Boston for a job, you moved to Austin for a job. And you, so you're losing all of that comfort. Not only that, you're in a work environment with all of these different levels, all of these different talented people. And depending on what you're doing, you're not going to know every situation that you're put in. And it can really, you know, being afraid to ask for help, feeling like you don't belong in that specific company or that specific career at the time. Most college grads that I speak to really feel that way. And so some of my advice for that generation is it's so important to ask for help. It's so important to ask for help and realize that you're going to learning, you'll make a lot of mistakes, but that's going to help you develop for the future. As well as, as Sarah pointed out, usually you're given a mentor, you're given a college advisor, you're given a buddy whenever you start a new job. And sometimes I think the same thing. I'm like, why do I have to meet with this person every once a week for the first six months? I don't get it. You know, I don't even know this person and they don't know me. But one thing that I will say is sometimes it's good to even use that buddy. Maybe you won't take their skills. Maybe you won't take their advice when it comes to the job. But it's at least someone that you have a point of contact that you feel comfortable talking to. And I think when you start out in a career and you're having slight feelings of imposter syndrome, even early on, just having someone to talk to can really help. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there are even times where we're talking how imposter syndrome can often be negative. But I think in certain situations, having some of these feelings of imposter syndrome can actually help us. Really, the more of an imposter we feel like, the more appreciative we are of what we have, I think, in a sense. You know, by feeling like we don't really deserve it, we don't lose that feeling of gratitude that we somehow got lucky. (laughs) And so I think there are times where this idea that we don't deserve what we have can often compel us to work harder and to put in more time and to prove our value and to prove our worth. I, we don't want to let it get to the point of, oh, I need to be a perfectionist. I can't ever let anything slip or, you know, Superman or Superwoman. And I, I have to do everything all the time and nobody can ever help me. But I think at a more mild level, if people have some of these feelings, and I think naturally we all do. I mean, 70, 70% of us experience it in some form in our lives. I think it's a very natural, healthy feeling if we put it to good use yeah. and, and actually apply it to our lives to say, hey, you know, I know that I deserve these things, but I'm also grateful for the chances that I've had and the opportunities that have been given to me. And I'm going to continue to use them because I don't want to let those things absolutely. So, And I think if we do, I think with the, and I, I think if I had to pick one of the five that I, that I identify with the most, I'd probably say that the Superman or Superwoman. Um, And I think that that's what all boiled down. I think that's what happened to me when I, you know, for about an eight month period. And to your point, some of the advice I had to give myself (laughs) um, because I wasn't asking for help was going back to the basics of what got you to where you were at in the first place. Almost like you said, Sarah, about reflecting and thinking about all the things you have done can help you be like, okay, I did it there. I can do it here. And almost honing it into a goal and almost honing it into bringing it full circle and saying, well, I got here this way and I know what I'm doing and and trying to work to get your confidence back. You know, some other things that help me identify and and kind of get out of this cycle of experience imposter syndrome was getting back into having a couple hobbies, you know, getting back into 
for me, when I was working all hours trying to prove myself for no reason, just because I was suffering from this, I stopped, you know, working out, which we'll, we'll talk about later, but getting back into it, you know, I lost a bet. I joined CrossFit. You know, there was a coach, <laughs> I know, unfortunately, you know, it came at a perfect time. A coach there was very kind to me, very good to me. And, you know, she really enabled me and gave me confidence to keep coming. And through that, I started making friends and, and, you know, so it's little things that can help you realize that the basics and the things that you did to get to where you are will still work. It's this imposter syndrome thing of feeling like you're going to be exposed and you have to do all of this. It can just really eat away, away at you. So my advice, and I know a lot of people we talk to feel like they suffer from some of this, is one thing that just really helped me was going back in the base, to the basics. And like Sarah said, really reflecting on how I got here, that I do deserve this job or I do deserve to be here and going back to what got me there. And I think that really helped me. Yeah, no, those are all great. And I think my advice on all of this is, is don't compare yourself and your journey to others because there's nothing healthy about that, truly. truly. And it's always, it's always been a downfall of mine. You know, some of the things I've achieved in my life may not be a big deal to some of the people that I surround myself with. Having a career, being able to go on vacation, having stability and my health and fitness and, and an education this is the standard for a lot of people that I surround myself with, like colleagues and friends. But for me to achieve those things took overcoming exceptional challenges. And, and honestly, nobody really knows that except for me. But when I start to play this comparison game, it's very easy for me to get sucked down the rabbit hole of, well, I mean, I haven't really achieved anything more than the average person. And letting that be my dialogue as opposed to, wow, you've done a lot compared to where you start. Absolutely. <laughs> so I think everyone just needs to be cognizant of where their journey began and where they're going and just focus on that and, and not let all of the other stuff yeah. make them feel bad about where they are in life. And and just for the, for the listeners, this is a such a this is such a an in-depth topic that we wanted to do an introduction to it today, give a little bit of, you know, our history with it, but this is absolutely a topic that we want to hear from you on your experiences with it. And we're absolutely going to be doing a follow-up panel on this episode. So please email us, uh, reach out to follow up, leave comments. If you'd like to be a part of this, because I think that this topic relates to so many different people and so many different careers, so many different aspects of life that we want to throughout this podcast, dive into it more and more. So I think please let us know if you have an experience with it or you'd like to be as part of our, our follow-up panel. Yeah, absolutely. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram. But we I have think one more we have one more yes. thing left. And so I'll, I'll kick this off. So I know if you've heard, we like to do these little segments at the end so that you guys can get to know us a little bit better. And one that I typically joke about quite a bit, I like to call it life of the unfit. And by life of the unfit means funny stories that happen to me at the gym or just things that I do that are very not fit and very, <laughs> and very not, uh, not graceful um, at the gym. So Sarah and I are both athletes. And um, so we thought this segment would be fun to give you a little bit of a funny story or a background and some of the things we've done that we may, we may have regretted. So Sarah, I'll uh, let you start. <laughs> Yeah, so I think one of the most unfit things I've ever done is uh, it was actually 
when when you first brought this one up, I immediately thought the first thing that came to my mind was when I was 15 years old, I was at the gym at, with my brother. And for some reason, it was a quiet day at the gym. It was just him and I in there. It was a small gym in like the sports complex in the town I grew up in. And, you know, it probably had a few treadmills, some weight machines, nothing huge. And for some reason that day, the only two people in the gym were him and I. So this was back when I was a runner and I was on the treadmill doing my daily like six miles. And for some reason, I just was off in la-la land. And all of a sudden, I am that person falling face forward on the treadmill, like rolling backwards over myself as the treadmill keeps going. I ended up with like (laughs) scars and bruised knees and my brother sitting there dying, (laughs) laughing. And my only saving grace was that there was nobody else, not even the gym owner in the gym that day, because I still think back on that. And I'm like, wow, I, I was that person who <laughs> fell on the treadmill. Face yeah, that is, that's really funny. And I've, I've never done that to that extent, but I've had moments like that where I've been, uh, been close. So that, that's really funny. So my life for the unfit would be a lot of things, <laughs> but to focus on just one, since I brought this up earlier in the, in the first segment. I did lose a bet and had to do CrossFit for six months. Joke's on me. Uh, Two and a half years later, I'm still there. And it's as any of you know, listening who does it, it's really hard. But my life of the unfit moment was definitely probably a month ago. I had taken a few weeks off and I went back into the gym with one of my friends who were pretty, were kind of competitive. And there was a workout where the weight was pretty heavy and they were like, why don't you scale? You haven't been here in a while. And I was like, no, I don't need to scale this whatsoever. (laughs) In reality, I really should have. And the next day I could not move my arms. I could not move my legs. I was probably one of the most sore I've had the, the most sore I've been in a long time. And I made my way to the Dunkin' Donuts near my building and it was packed. There were a ton of people in there and they know me in there because it's right near my building. So they were handing me my iced coffee over the counter uh, where they work, thinking I would just grab it and leave. I realized at the same time, I could not bend my arm straight to pick to grab it. And they <laughs> dropped it and I couldn't grab it. And it, it was a large, it spilled, broke everywhere entire and the entire floor that was packed. People got it on them because it hit the side and made a big scene. And then everyone had to rearrange the lines and the workers had to take time out and clean it up. And so, and so that was probably one of the more embarrassing moments um, for me. And I apologize to the workers at the Dungan Donuts because that was really extremely obnoxious. And I also would like to give a shout out to my friends who told me not to do the wait. I should have listened to you. And next time I promise I will. <laughs> so that, that will be yeah, man yeah those dogs they get you every time and, uh, yeah so that was rough but yeah so for this episode I think that wraps it and as we mentioned as I mentioned earlier please please reach out to us if you'd like to be on our follow-up episode of this panel I think everyone can relate to this topic and we'd love to hear from you 